Amen. Can we put our hands together and just bless him? Come on, bless him. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. God is good. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, something coming up we're excited about, and it starts next Sunday. And uh, yes, that'll be our first, um, the first of uh, December, and when we do our football game, but also when we have a time of seven days of feasting. And we're declaring that and putting that challenge out to our church that this will be our first annual seven days of feasting. What does that mean? Does that mean the leftovers? No, it doesn't mean the leftovers from Thanksgiving. Uh, but it really means taking the opportunity during those seven days to have lunch with somebody, dinner, have somebody over your house, have coffee with somebody who doesn't know the Lord. Somebody who, who needs the Lord. Somebody who really just needs help. Somebody who just needs salvation. Somebody who doesn't know God at all. And so we encourage you and, and challenge you to take one of those days or seven of those days, three of those days, whatever, and just stretch out your faith, get out of your comfort zone, and go to somebody's house, have them over, and, and have dinner with a sinner. Amen? Or whatever. So that's seven days of feasting, and we want to encourage you to do that starting next week. So we're excited about that. I believe that's something that's going to be kind of weaved into a fabric of who we are as a people group, as a church, an assembly. We want to encourage you to do that every year, and um, we're going to take time aside. And I think it's important to take time aside to fast and pray, but I think it's also a time... Time aside to to really reach out, and uh, so we want to just help you that with that, encourage you to do that. And uh, if you've never done that and had somebody over your house, maybe a neighbor that you've talked, maybe over the fence or or across the porches or over the street, you've talked to them. Maybe get a little closer with them and just uh, and just say, hey, can we do some coffee or can we have you over for dessert or maybe you just like to come over for some snacks or whatever uh, or watch a football game or something like that or basketball. Uh, just want to encourage you to do that. And maybe somebody that you've been praying for on your VIP list, somebody that you're really concerned about and really uh, heavy on your heart who really needs the Lord and, and really in a desperate situation and, um, and whatever. Or maybe they're somewhere where you can't go out, but maybe you can take dinner to them. Maybe you can go and take dinner at somebody's house, surprise them, say, hey, tomorrow night, just want you to know we're going to cook for your family and we'd like to maybe just drop it off. But something that really um, has something to do with uh, providing a meal or sharing a meal with someone that doesn't know the Lord. In Luke chapter 10, if you'll turn your Bible or on your device, uh, click with me to Luke chapter 10. Um, this is a very interesting and very dynamic um, account, really, and a story that Jesus tells. But, you know, Jesus had sent out 70 people and had, had laid hands on them and gave them power over unclean spirits and and they saw a lot of people, they saw revival, they saw a lot of people saved and delivered and healed, came back with a good report, and uh, Jesus began to teach people while they were together. And in verse 25, <clears throat> something very interesting happens here. The Bible says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up, and he tempted Jesus, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That's probably the second time Jesus heard that, that we have it recorded in Scripture by another Pharisee. And he said unto him, What is it written in the law? How do you read it? And he said, answering said, you will love, you shall not love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and you will love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you answered right, that's correct. He said, do this and you will live. Very interesting. And you know, the lawyer didn't leave it there, the, the guy didn't leave it there, he pressed a little bit more. And the Bible says, but he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, who is my neighbor? 
Who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down to Jericho and he began to tell the story of what we know, the Good Samaritan. A guy went down he was on his way um, to Jericho. He fell among thieves. They stripped him. They beat him. They wounded him severely and leaving him half dead. There was a tremendous beating that he took. Doesn't say how many people were there. Probably two or three. But this guy was beaten to the place of, of near death. So there's probably a lot of blood loss and open sores and cuts and things like that. It was a mess. And by chance, the Bible says there came a priest by his way and he walked by him. And, and then a Levite came and, and he kind of looked at him and he saw him. And verse 32, and he passed on the other side. He went on the, ver- on the side of the road and he went on the other side. But the Bible says a certain Samaritan came and as he journeyed, he came and he saw him and he had compassion on this man that was, that was dying. And he went to him and he bound his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his donkey or horse. It just says beast. It could have been a cow. And he brought him into the inn and took care of him. And, and the next day he departed and he said, and, and he gave him money to the innkeeper and said, whatever this guy needs, give it to him. Here's the money to cover it. And the Bible says that Jesus asked this question to the lawyer. He told the story and then he went back to the question. And he said, which, which now of these three do you think was a neighbor unto him that fell among thieves. And the lawyer said, the one that showed mercy to him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. And so this morning I want to talk to you about who is my neighbor. Who's my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Again, this is a lawyer. This was someone who actually studied the law of God, the law of Moses. Who, who wrote it many times over, I would imagine. Who knew it backwards and frontwards. Who knew the... the the Pentateuch and knew uh, the books of David and the books uh, of Psalms and all those things and the prophets. And so this was a lawyer. This wasn't someone we think of a lawyer. This was someone the law, the lawyer as the law of Moses. So he was supposed to know this. But the Bible says that he was trying to trick Jesus. He was trying to, to put one over on Jesus and trying to kind of, you know, you know kind of put on him. Okay, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus asked him a question. He said, what did the law say? And he well, I know what the law said. That's what I studied. That's what I did. But there's something interesting about someone who's supposed to know the law. When he quoted it, he said, Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then he said, Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he asked the question, Who is my neighbor? You see, he should have stopped at the place where he said, What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? But he didn't stop there. He actually got himself in a lot of trouble. Because he's somebody that's supposed to know the law, and Jesus caught him knowing that he really doesn't practice the law. So it's somebody that Jesus revealed in an instant, in a, very, in a quick, quick question, you know, revealed, you really don't know what you're supposed to be practicing. You, you don't know what you're really claiming to be. You really aren't that person. And so he asked, who is my neighbor? And so instead of Jesus saying, look, you're really not the guy you're supposed to be, Jesus let the story speak for itself. And so he told this account of this guy, and there was uh, a few people involved. There was four people involved in the story. Number one, the dying man. He was somebody that was obviously was overtaken by people. He was beaten. He was, he was there, left for dead, the Bible says. And so, you know, maybe, maybe it was a mistake that he went that way. Maybe he shouldn't have gone that way. Maybe he left at night. Maybe he was traveling by himself. Maybe he, he uh, was at the wrong place at the wrong time. We don't know. You know, we can only speculate what the book says. And so he was, he was overtaken. He was a victim. He, he you know, was robbed and, and all those things. Might have had a lot of money. Now, he might have been a guy who, who let money hang out of his pocket and let everybody know, I'm rich, I'm rich, I'm rich. You know, who knows? We don't know. But we know that he was a man that actually was a dying man, the Bible says. And then there was the priest that came, a priest that, and he was, 
he was this guy was coming from Jericho or from Jerusalem down to Jericho this priest was coming from Jericho up to Jerusalem if you've been to Israel study the ge geographic location there Jericho is down in the south it's down in the lower plains and you literally have to go up north you have to travel up the sea level a couple hundred feet up sea level to get to Jerusalem and there was only a few roads that people would take back then it was a main road so it wasn't like a little path and off to the side it was a main road it was a main road to Jerusalem that a lot of people traveled not just this guy but a priest would travel this often because they were scheduled to do certain things in the temple and it was his time to carry out certain rituals. It was, he was scheduled to be there. And so he was supposed to go to the temple and carry out rituals and ceremonial things. And so he was supposed to be there. But the Bible says that he actually walked right by. He saw him, I used to think, out of the corner of his eye. Or, I mean, if, you, this, is a, if, if this is a main road and someone's dying, that, you know, laying there, I'm sure other people are getting out of the way, right? You know, and, and so he, he had to walk by him. The Bible says he walked right by him. And then the second person that came was a Levite. A Levite was an assistant to the priest. And so he was somebody that assisted in the ceremonies, assisted in the rituals. And the Bible says something very interesting in verse 32, that he looked on him. So he had to stop from what he was doing, where he was going. And he had to look at this guy. He had to see this guy's condition. But the Bible says he just kept going. And it actually even says that he almost kind of like drew near to him, almost to get a closer look. Ew, look at the blood. How many know people like look at the blood? You know, what a dangerous thing. And even at a terrible accident, people want to see the carnage. Isn't that horrible? And, and you know what I mean? We want to watch the videos where people get, you know, into accidents and stuff. Oh, that's terrible. And he was probably one of those guys, you know. He was like, wow. And maybe, you know, took a, took a picture of it and, and you know, and, and put it on YouTube. Look what I saw on my way to work today. But, you know, so he, the Bible says he looked. But he didn't stop. And so, you know, maybe the priest was somebody that he felt he was too busy. Maybe there was a guy that he felt that he was just busy doing God's work. He was too busy. He had to get there. He had to keep a schedule. Or maybe he felt like the priest felt like he was too good for this guy. I can't get my hands dirty. I can't stop. Let somebody else do it. And so maybe the Levite, when he saw the guy, maybe he felt that he wasn't qualified enough. Maybe he felt because he was an assistant to the priest that he wasn't qualified to do that. Maybe he felt like he wasn't good enough to do that. Maybe he felt like he just didn't have the right words to say, equipment. Or maybe he didn't have the resources to help this guy. And I just need to get to the temple because I'm late for an appointment. But the Bible says, and, and, the, and the next person that came was a Samaritan. Now someone wrote years ago and they said this. They said, it's sad when those who should be examples of charity are actually prodigies of cruelty. It's when those who should be displaying the mercies of God won't. I mean, they probably said things like, I just don't have time. I, I don't want to get involved. I, uh, they should have known better. That person should have known better. They shouldn't have been coming on this road at dark, at night, and alone with all that money and all those things. They should have known. Or they would have said maybe they deserved it. Serves him right. He should have never done that. Now, he was a Jew. The Bible says his, as the priest saw his own kind and he just went on. So, you know, maybe they said, well, he should have been smarter than that. Or maybe he said, it's somebody else's problem. Maybe he said, eventually he'll be okay. He's got a pulse. He'll make it. Or if he doesn't, that's his destiny. So maybe this is what they were saying. But a guy, another guy came, and it's who I call Good Sam. The Bible doesn't say his name, but I think his name was Good Sam. And so I couldn't call him Good Sam. And so his, this was a Samaritan. This was somebody who didn't have business with the Jews. They hated each other. 
they, they were separate from each other. They rejected each other. They, they hated, I mean, if you saw somebody from a Jew, you go, went and got on the other side of the street, you went your own way. You left them alone. You, the Samaritans left the Jews alone. The Jews left the Samaritans alone. And we did our own thing. Mind your own business. Stay with your own kind. And the Samaritan saw a need, and he had compassion, the Bible says. This was a different kind of guy. That's why I call him Good Sam, because he's a different kind of Samaritan. He did more than just fix this guy's temporary problem. He, he, went, all, he went a different, uh, you know, another step. He went another, uh, as the Bible says, he went an extra mile. He didn't just help the bleeding, stop the bleeding, here's a band-aid. The Bible says he did much more than that. He didn't just fix his temporary problem. He actually helped him in the long run. He helped this guy. He helped him live, the Bible says. So though this victim, or this guy, we don't know him, but he was a Jew... This Samaritan, good Sam, saw him as a man. He was a man in misery. He was a dying soul. See, to him, he wasn't a Jew. He was a man that needed help. All that stuff about what the Jews were and how they hated him and all that stuff went out the window when the need came up. So when he had a need and this guy was dying, he said, forget about what I was taught as a boy to hate the Jews. This guy needs help. Wow, that takes a lot of character, doesn't it? And so maybe, maybe, maybe because of this, the Samaritan knew what it was like to be overlooked and despised. Maybe out of a heart of mercy, he knew what it was like for people to treat him like this. And he said, I'm not going to be this guy. I'm not going to be that type of guy. Even though other people are like that, I'm not going to be like that. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to help this person. Think about it. And even though he's overlooked and despised, I mean, think about it. He was hated. Maybe he knew what it was like to be broken. Maybe he was, knew what it was like to be robbed. Maybe he knew what it was like to lay on a road and everybody pass you by. At any rate, he moved in mercy. Think about it. And he was a good Samaritan, the Bible says. And I like this about this story about the good Sam because his ministry took place out in public where the need was. See, the Levite and the priest were so quick to get to the house of God and the synagogue to do God's work, and yet here was God's work right here. And the Samaritan recognized that, and he did it in public. He didn't, he didn't make a big deal about it. He didn't wait. No, you need to get yourself in church. You need to get up into the synagogue. You need to get to the pool of the Bethesda where the waters are certain people get healed. You need to help yourself. No. He said, he went out of his way and he said, right here's a ministry opportunity. Right here's a need. And he didn't say, look, this is me, I'm this, I'm good Sam, I want to introduce myself. No, the Bible says he ran to him and he met the need. In fact, let's talk about the ministry of good Sam. Let's talk about the ministry and how he ministered to this man. The Bible says, number one, he responded. He responded. How many know all ministry starts with a response? The Bible says that Jesus saw the multitudes coming and he saw their sickness. He saw them bringing the sick. And he saw that. And the Bible says he was moved with compassion and he healed everybody. So first of all, Jesus responded. This man, good Sam, responded. So he responded to this need. The second thing is he met the immediate hurt. That's what he did. I mean, he, he quickly, he quickly took care of the bleeding. He qu quickly took care of the emergency situations. He quickly uh, revived this man. And who knows if he, uh, you know, knew CPR at the time. I don't know. But he took care of his immediate hurt. That's what he did. One of the things the Bible says that he did is he poured in oil and wine in this guy's wounds. Now, even medically speaking, that this would work. This would be a, a, a healing element. This would uh, cause this guy to actually get better and actually would would uh, save this guy. Oil and wine that this guy had, he had it on his person. Maybe he was going to 
a Thanksgiving meeting or a dinner or maybe, you know, he was going to a feast with his family. Somehow he already had it at, uh, on the ready. He had it in his reserve. He had it on his person, oil and wine. This guy was ready for anything. How many of the Bible says that we need to be ready always to give an answer to everyone that asks for the, amen, the hope that lies within us? And this guy was ready, and so he had oil and wine. Wine and oil always speak of cleansing and healing. Always speak of those things. It was cleansing and healing. See, the wine actually could to kind of serve as an antiseptic. It would clean and disinfect the wounds. That's what wine would do. And the oil would actually protect the wounds from germs and parasites. And, and it would actually start to seal up the wound and start to heal it immediately. Amen? Come on. He poured in oil and wine. And then the Bible says the third thing he did is he met his extensive needs. So he met his extensive needs. All these needs that would help him get to the, to the next step in life. To, to where he could actually start taking care of himself. Is anybody listening? How many know some people don't have enough strength to take care of themselves? Amen. They, they, they're addicted to a substance. They don't have enough power to overcome that substance. They need someone to help them get beyond that place to where they can actually stand on their own two feet and help themselves. Amen. Amen. And so this is what he did. He met his extensive needs. He took care of his transportation. He took care of his shelter. He took care of... Uh, whatever he needed, food and lodging, the Bible says. He might have even bought him a pair of clothes. This guy, the Bible says, was stripped. How embarrassing. He was naked. And so I'm sure the first thing he did was, did was bound up his wounds and then get this guy a pair of shorts. Amen. Let's meet this guy's needs. Let, let's see what we can do. Meet his extensive needs. And, you know, someone said that pity is the work of a man, but faith is a work of divine grace. And when you move in faith and you move in compassion, that's moving in divine grace. Not just pity, but it's moving in divine grace. So this is the ministry, amen, of who I call Good Sam. Love Good Sam. He's a great guy. Amen. But there's four truths about the story I want to bring out today about who is my neighbor. Four truths that as Jesus really kind of brought the story to a close, he asked this guy a question. But there's four truths I want to bring out. Number one, he, Jesus taught this through the story, that your good isn't good enough. Your good isn't good enough. Why? Because the lawyer came, very, very first thing, the Bible says, he said, I know the commandments, I know I've kept most of them, but what do I have to do to be saved? In other words, what he was saying is, what is the bare minimal that I have to do to get away with to go to heaven? What is the lowest standard I have to keep to be able to be accepted by God? What is, the, what do I, what is permissible? What do I have to do that's going to keep me out of hell? What do I have to do? I mean, that's what his attitude was. What is the least I can do to, to be saved? What, what is the minimal I have to do here? And Jesus called him out and said, listen, there's much, something more deeper going on here. But the Bible says that he said these things to justify himself. And he said, what do I have to do? Notice what he said, very first thing. In other words, what he was doing is he said, look, my good, look at all the good things I've done. I know the law. I've kept the law. I've done this and this and this. And the very first thing he presented to Jesus was his goodness. How many know that's the last thing we bring to the Lord? The Bible says there's no, none good, no, not one. All our righteousness is filthy rags. Everything that we consider good is not good enough. Come on. We couldn't do enough good to get into heaven on our own. We needed somebody and someone, amen, to step in who was, who was forever good, perfect in all his ways, altogether righteous, and help us. Amen. 
And sometimes we want to stand on our goodness and say, look what I've done. I mean, I fed the poor. I did this. I gave. I did that. I did this. And we want to stand on our merits before God. Amen. How many know when it comes to to standing before the Lord, you can't stand on your goodness. You've got to stand on His goodness. What Jesus did. It's not what you do. It's what God has done. Amen. Through Jesus, through the cross, that's what we stand on. We stand on His righteousness. We stand on His favor. We stand on His grace. Can somebody say amen? Amen. The moment we start boasting about how good we are is the moment we start being bad. Amen. And start talking about, amen, look at I did and look at all the things I can do. I don't know about you, but we need to say, look what God can do. Look what the Lord has done. God did it. I didn't, I didn't get rich on my own. God did it. I, it was the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. And so your good isn't good enough. Jesus told this guy, your good isn't good enough. Amen. Hallelujah. I don't know if that one hurt. But anyways, and he proved really that he wasn't even keeping the basic commandments. Jesus told him that you, you say that you're, you're doing good by keeping the commandments, but yet you're asking me, who is your neighbor? And you're supposed to know how to love your neighbor because you're a lawyer. If anybody should know how to love thy neighbor, it's you. You're the one that studies the law. You're the one that writes the law. You're the one that teaches the law. You tell everybody else how to keep the law, but you're not keeping the law. And so Jesus said to him, look, and he just proved, look, you're not even keeping the basics. I mean, you're not even doing the bare minimum yourself. You want to do it, but you can't. You're not doing it. And I believe that because of sin, that we as a people have become, we, we've created a God complex for ourselves. We become control freaks. Sin has left us addicted to ourselves. And we constantly want to put, point in our eyes and say, look at, I, but, but I just like what one preacher said. He said that pride is the one world religion that yet to be renounced. We constant, and then God wants, and Jesus taught this. You can't depend on your own goodness. You've got to rely on the saving grace of Jesus. Amen. And so the other, the other lesson I see, other truth I see in this story is Jesus taught this. Never show favoritism. Never show prejudice. In fact, we see this. He said, the Bible says, who is my neighbor? The Bible says he, he act, asked that question specifically to justify himself. What was he justifying? He's justifying his lack of love for certain kinds of people. That's why Jesus told the story of a good Samaritan and not a good Jew. Because this guy did not like Samaritans. He was a lawyer. He knew he had to love his neighbor. And that's why he's trying to stretch it out. Okay, let's, let's, try, to, let's try to fit into my own way of Christianity. Who, what I feel comfortable with. I'm going to change the way to what I feel and what I've got to do to be a Christian. No, no, no. No, no. No, Jesus said you've got to love your neighbor. And Jesus began to talk about somebody he hated. A story about somebody he despised in the story. And he said it's a good Samaritan. Boy, that rubbed that guy the wrong way. Why? Because he had prejudice in his heart and he was trying to justify the reason he didn't like certain skin colors, the reason he didn't like certain classes of people. That he was trying to break everything down and say, I want to get away with hating people. How can I do that? Screw this over with the commandments of God. How can I do that? Check one, two. Amen. All right, let's go back to point one. It doesn't matter. So, okay, everybody heard me in the back, right? Okay, good, good. All right, so, but so what was happening in this church 
is somebody would come in and they'd have nice clothes, they'd be rich, they'd be famous, they'd be a celebrity, and they were making a big deal. Oh, sit in the best chair, we've got all this food for you. I mean, we're going to wait on you hand and foot. And then someone would come in who was poor and homeless and had broken and they had nasty clothes on. Uh, sit in the corner, please. Oh, you smell. You smell, please. Oh, my goodness. I do not. I mean, you don't represent who we are. Oh, but this rich person, oh, yeah. We want to rub shoulders with them. We want to get in good with them because we've got, you know, a center, an outreach center. And, man, if we can get good with them, they could pay and give money. But you, no, you don't have any money. Go sit in the corner. They were actually doing this in this church. You know, there's churches that say they actually have a tie rack that if you don't come in with a tie, they make you wear a tie before you get in the sanctuary. That's, that's religious and that's garbage. Come on. And Jesus said, amen, James was teaching a principle. He said, you can't have respective persons and faith at the same time. They cannot coexist. You can't have faith and hate certain people and dislike certain colors and have prejudice in your heart at the same time. It does not mix. Can't do it. Can't do it. You can't do it. Maybe you go to a church. If that's not how to believe, get out of that church. Get away from those people because that's sin and they're living in sin. Now, you got to remember something. Remember that we're in a blood covenant. We're not in a skin covenant. We're not in a social class covenant. Half of us wouldn't be in the, in the kingdom if that was the case. But because we're in a blood covenant, everyone, whosoever, will come. Amen. Whosoever will drink. Whosoever will believe on the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. And call on the name shall be saved. Amen. So we're... I believe as the church, we are to set the standard for the, what a, a nation should look like. We should we, be the most successful blended family there is. We should be the greatest example of a multiracial community there is on the planet. If you want to see what unity is like, you should look at the church. If you want to see it's like, amen, for races to come together and love each other, everybody's on the same plane, it's all common unity, you should look at the church. Come on, somebody. Can you lift your hand to heaven and say, God help us. Amen, today. We've got to be the most successful blended family there is. Amen. All of us coming from different backgrounds and all of us coming from different places, coming together in the umbrella of the blood of Jesus. Amen. Sharing the, amen, the things together. Amen. And I'm going to tell you something right now. Every time God does a mighty move of His Spirit in the nation, it's because there's a people group that want to move in the opposite spirit of what the culture is doing right now. Can somebody say amen? The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 that through what Jesus did on the cross, He broke down every wall of partition between us. Every wall of partition between us. Come on, that doesn't mean that God accepts all religions. I said that doesn't mean that God accepts all religions. It simply means that He accepts all people groups to come to Him and be saved. That all people groups can come. Amen. And be saved. Can somebody say amen? Somebody say, well, we can all coexist. Amen. Well, if we're in, in Jesus, we can. If, if we're in Jesus, we can. Ouch. Galatians chapter 3 says that there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male or female. For we're all one in Jesus Christ. Amen. James goes on to say in chapter 2, he says, If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, that is to love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing the right thing. And then he says in verse 9 of chapter 2, But if you show favoritism, you sin 
are and are convicted by law as lawbreakers. So it's a sin to show favoritism. It's a sin for people when we people come in the church and we don't want to talk to them. And we want to put them in a class of people and you're, okay, well, you're lower and why don't you use the side door and why don't you just kind of sit in, in, in somewhere in seclusion and listen to the service. Listen, all that is sin. Amen? Can I just go on a little bit about this? In Acts chapter 10, the Bible, this is an amazing story. In Acts chapter 10, there was a man by the name of Cornelius. Now, listen to this. He was a Roman officer and he was an Italian. And he was in a band. So he probably wore out the song, you know, uh, of, you know, when the moon hits your... Okay, all that stuff. So the Bible says he was not only a Roman, but he was an Italian. And he was part of this. But you know what? He got saved. He got saved. He met Jesus. And the Bible says that God spoke to this man and he said... I want you to go to the house of Jason in Joppa and you'll find a man by the name of Peter there. You need to join him. You need to connect with him. He's your brother. You need to get together with him. I'm paraphrasing, of course. And at the same time, Peter was at this guy's house and he, and he was, you know, enjoying the fellowship. And the Bible says he went up on the roof to pray and he had a vision. And the Bible says he saw this big sheet and four corners and all the beasts and all the creeping things. And the Bible says that God spoke to him and said, Arise and eat, kill and eat. And he said, what? I'm a Jew, I can't do that. I can't just eat what I want. But the Bible said, God spoke to him and said, now what God has cleansed, let no man call common or unclean. And so God not only gave the revelation to Peter about, amen, eating certain foods, amen, as long as they're blessed of the Lord, right? You can eat these things. But the Lord gave him a revelation of loving other people. Loving other people who were not Jews. And he said, guess what? There's a, an Italian man coming to your house. And that's why I got to tell you. And so when he saw Cornelius, here's this guy is, and hey, mamma mia, but came up, you know, whatever. Opened the door, he had some noodles and pizza, and, and they had great fellowship over Strombelli and Calzone, and all those things. And, and, and all of a sudden, God told him again, what God has cleansed, let no man call common or unclean. And so that opened the door for Peter to preach the gospel to every man. Not just to the Jews, not just to his kind, but to every man. So when he saw the Samaritan, he joined himself and said, I've got good news for you. When he saw an Italian and when he saw an Irishman, he saw Ethiopian, he said, I've got good news. And we share something that nobody else shares, and that is the blood of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Don't call no man common or unclean. Don't consider any man inferior or forbidden to be with them. Wow. Nothing is unclean if God declares it to be clean. Hello. Hello. God, amen, says it's okay. It's clean. Amen. It's not. Amen. Forbidden any longer. Amen. And so Peter considered them unclean because they were not ceremonial clean by Jewish rituals and customs. That's why they were unclean. They considered Samaritans and other people and other nations and races unclean because they were not clean, cleansed by the ceremonial rituals through Jewish customs. Think about it. And he also considered them common because they were not of the nation of Israel. 
So they couldn't get past the fact that if you weren't Jewish and you weren't from the nation and if you weren't cleansed by ceremonial things, God rejected you. You weren't accepted. But aren't you glad that Jesus ripped the veil in two? Amen. The Bible says, amen, that now that wall came down, that wall of partition that said, you can't come in. This door, you have to use that side door and you can't go over there and you got to be with that fellowship and you can't be with this fellowship. The Bible says that wall came down in Jesus' name. Amen. Say that God can't use you and God loves you and God, no, no, no. All that stuff came down. All that stuff came down. Amen. Hallelujah. And so the Bible says that whatever God cleanses, amen, don't call common inferior. Hallelujah. It's clean. It's acceptable to God. Amen. You know, and it's just like, yeah, there's people with money and they're acceptable to God, but there's homeless people. I've, I've seen, listen, I've seen preachers with three-piece suits on living in sin, sleeping with a secretary after church. But let me tell you something. I've also seen homeless people who love God with all their heart, all their mind, all their soul, and they're on their way to heaven, saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, the whole bit. Amen? And I want to just encourage you as a church. That when someone comes in to our midst and to someone visits us, listen, you got to be the first one to greet them. you got to be the first one to introduce yourself. Make them feel welcome at home. I mean, think about it. If someone came into your house and you just stared at them and then walked out the door, how awkward is that? Isn't that weird? Isn't that weird? No. I mean, we got the parking lot crew, we got greeters, we got ushers, we got the host team, but you need to be the one to greet them. Don't just put it on somebody else. Don't just walk beside and say, oh, they got to need, I'll let somebody else take care of that. Amen. Listen, talk to them, sit with them, go to dinner with them, invite them over to your house, connect with them in the week, have coffee with them. Say, hey, can I, amen, can I exchange numbers? What's your need today? Can I pray with you today? Introduce your family to them. Make them feel welcome. I'm telling you, there's nothing more uh, heart wrenching that you go to a church and everybody's supposed to love God and not anybody talks to you. I've experienced that and it's not fun. Amen. And you know what they say, surveys say this and research says this, that the most important time in any church service is the, the, the first few moments after church. Why? Because everybody kind of gets with their friends and they go over here and they go get their kids and then they're on their way home. We got to get to a dinner and everything and, and here's visitors and people that just are new and they just stand there. And so the first, that, that 10 minutes is so important because you know something? If people won't find you friendly, if they won't find this church loving, they're not coming back. I don't care how we sing. I don't care if we prophesy. I don't care if we, if we, if we say when Jesus is coming back. Come on. Come on, somebody. Amen. You, you, I mean, you can, you can give the greatest sermon. You can give the greatest revelation. But the Bible says if you don't have love, that doesn't mean anything. People aren't coming back. Well, we're not about numbers. Yeah, we're about people. Yes, we are. We're about people. Yes, we are. Yeah, because the more people come in, the more we can love on them, the more people get saved, the more the kingdom gets filled up, the more God's pleased. Amen. Amen. Thank God. Amen. For when people come in and want to want to learn about Jesus. And they maybe they're skeptical. Maybe they're 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 they don't like church. And maybe they don't like Christians. And maybe they're here to criticize. It doesn't matter. Don't show favoritism. Amen. Got to move on. So Jesus also talked about and taught this. The, the third thing is always show compassion. Always show compassion. I need to move along. And what are the two components, or really the two elements really that mark our lives as Christians more than anything else? It's mercy and grace. It's mercy and grace. That's what marks us. Not our talent, not our ability, not our knowledge in the scriptures. 
It marks as mercy and grace. The Bible says through the writer of Psalms in Psalms 103 that we've been anointed with loving kindness and compassion. David said, you crown me with loving kindness and tender mercies. How many believe that you've been anointed with loving kindness and compassion? Why? Because you've got the loving kindness and compassion on the inside. The one who loved you before you loved him. The one who reached down in the muck and the mire and put your feet on the, mire and on the rock to stay. The one who, amen, who came by when you were blind and sick, amen, and weren't asking for him and didn't want him, who reached out, amen, to you. Amen? Hallelujah. And so the philosophy of Jesus was this. However God loved him, however God showed him love and mercy, that's how he loved other people. Is that what he said? I only do what my father does. I only say what my father, I only do what I saw, saw my father do. He showed me mercy. He showed grace. I'm going to do that. He taught us to do that. The philosophy of Jesus is that people that won't know God's love unless you show them. They're not going to come in and just experience God's love. Sometimes that's great, but it's usually through a relationship. It's usually through a friend or a relative or it's somebody that actually is just going their everyday life extending the love of Jesus. Romans 10 says, how are people going to get saved unless somebody's saying it? And some, somebody's telling it. Somebody's got to talk about Jesus in order for somebody to have faith in Jesus and be saved. Right? Amen. And so I believe that as... As Jesus followers and disciples, we're not trying to be right. We're not trying to prove that we're right and other people are wrong. That's not what it's about. What it's about is it's about showing how good God is and how His grace is right. His mercy is right. Come on, somebody. And His mercy and grace is right for everyone. Amen. Is this okay? You all right with this? Amen. I should be preaching a bunch of Jesus followers. And I want to end, kind of end down and wind down with this. I, I thought about this this week. I never saw this before, but then when I, the more I thought about it, I said, Lord, this is so good. And that is, this is what the Good Samaritan was doing. He was practicing the presence of Jesus. You know, I've often heard about that, and I've, I've listened to that audio book by Brother Lawrence about practicing the presence of Jesus. Wonderful book, and I believe in that. And we say that prayer and fasting and worship is, is practice. It's not. Prayer and fasting and worship is invoking the presence of the Lord. Think about it. It's invoking the presence of the Lord, and it's building us up. The Bible says that we pray. When we pray in the Holy Ghost, we build ourselves up. Is that what the Bible says? We invoke His presence. Our Father, which art in heaven, we invoke His presence. When we pray, when we fast, come on, we starve our flesh and strengthen our spirit. It usually benefits us, and it does a lot of damage in the spirit. We know that. And also with, 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 you know, all these things. And you know something, when you talk about practicing the presence of the Lord on a daily basis, you're not diminishing God's glory. You're not diminishing the anointing. It's actually a manifestation to the world of God's glory and God's anointing. Think about it. This Samaritan practiced the presence of Jesus. Because what practicing the presence of Jesus is about is doing what Jesus would do. You remember that bracelet you had? Remember that we would do what, do what Jesus, but also do what Jesus did. How many know when you practice the presence of Jesus, you do what he did? Jesus said greater works. You, these, are, these works, are, you're going to do what I did, and you're going to do greater works. So how many know it's about copying what Jesus did? Amen. 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 And then moving in the spirit of what he would do. Amen. And so that's what it's about, practicing. Let me give you some things about how to practice the presence of Jesus that we see in the story on a daily basis. Number one, I believe that you should see people as Jesus does. 
see them as he does. Amen. Take some of your, your, your the prejudice and favoritism and, and those glasses. Take them off. And just see people. As, love people as they are. Love them as you are. That's important, isn't it? Amen. Be salt and light in the world. Take the risk of being rejected. How many know that's the presence of Jesus? Jesus always took the risk of being rejected. Always took the risk of being rejected. And many times he was. But he took that risk. See beneath the crust and see the heart. We can't assume that people don't want Jesus. We can't always go around assuming that they don't deserve it. Come on. They don't need it. How many of that's a mistake if you assume that someone you work with, they don't need Jesus. They got good stuff. They're good. They're good people. They're good. We can't assume that they, and we can't assume that they don't want to hear about Jesus. We can't assume that. You got to see beneath the crust. You got to see the heart. And I believe one of the other ways to meet, to practice the presence of the Lord is to meet the need the way Jesus would. And we see this in the Good Samaritan. Jesus would go close to that person. He would draw himself to that person. He would take the initiative and go and start a conversation with that person. He would actually go and meet that need. How many know he would, you know, go and say to a blind person, so uh, what's going on today? Well, obviously, they're there to be healed. They can't see. And so Jesus would meet that need, right? Yeah. Amen. That's good. Someone said it doesn't take brain surgery or rocket science to do that, amen, or rocket surgery or brain science, whatever. It, it, it just, there it is, amen, to do it, to see that. And I believe as a church that we need to have this prayer in our hearts. This next year and, and the next week and the weeks to follow, I believe that maybe we can have this prayer in our hearts as a congregation. Mm -hmm. Lord, give us a greater release of compassion. It's good. A greater release of compassion. Make us greater dispensers of compassion. Not just humanitarian acts. Not just events. Not just projects that we're doing. Come on, somebody. Those things are good, but they're a platform, amen, that we can actually be who God's called us to be and be who we are in Christ. And that is to show compassion and to show loving kindness and tender mercies. Amen. amen. So let our prayer be that we should be this every year. We should say, Lord, did I dispense compassion in a greater way this year than I did last year? Am I, am I doing that? Am I working on that? Amen. And I believe that should be our prayer. Amen. And I believe at this last point, I just want us to stand on our feet today. No, no moving around a whole bunch. I just want to bring this last point out that Jesus brought. This last truth. Amen. Can we stand on our feet? This last truth. I've gone longer than I wanted. And here's the last truth that Jesus brought. I believe in this story, this account. Amen. And this, this, listen carefully. Jesus is the good Samaritan. This is the truth of this. We were bleeding. We were stripped. We were separated from him. We were stripped of who we were in God. We were beaten. We were left for dead. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Jesus poured in the oil and the wine. It was his blood, amen, that forgave you. Come on, it's his blood that washes you. It's his blood that cleanses you and forgives you of all sin and unrighteousness. It's the Spirit of God that anoints you for service, that gives you the, that seals the work of Calvary on your heart, the Bible says. It's that great sealing of that oil that comes over your life that seals the work of redemption, that seals the work of Calvary, amen, that anoints you for service and causes you to have purpose and identity in Jesus Christ. How many believe that Jesus poured in the oil and the wine, amen, when you were born again? Amen? 
Amen. But you know in this story that the priest was like the law of Moses. And the Levite was like the sacrifices and the ceremonies in the Old Testament. The Bible says in Romans what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God sending His own Son in likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, condemn sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. And I like what John's gospel says. John said, amen, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. What the law could not do, Jesus did. Amen. What the priest could not do, what the Levite could not do. See, those things bring you to the cross. The commandments bring you to Jesus, but, the, but Jesus' blood brings you through. Amen. Do In the story, Jesus did. Jesus was the good Samaritan. He was the one that poured in the oil and the wine. Do you remember that old song? That he poured in the wine and the oil, the kind that restored my soul. He found me bleeding and dying on that Jericho road when he poured in the wine and the oil. Jesus is the good Samaritan. Do you need him today? The question I'm asking you before you leave is, do you need Jesus today? Are you on that road? Are people passing you by? Do you feel that, amen, life itself, amen, and your hurt and your brokenness and your addictions are passing you by and there doesn't seem to be a solution? Amen. Do you need, do you need the Good Samaritan today? Do you need Jesus? The Bible says that all those call in the name of the Lord will be saved. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus and you've never met the Good Samaritan, you, you're still bleeding out sin and you're still bleeding selfishness and you're still bleeding lust and, uh, and envy and, and all these things and, and all, all these things are corrupting your heart. Jesus is the Good Samaritan. He wants to not just bandage your wounds, but He wants to take care of you. He wants to protect you. He wants to give you shelter. He wants to feed you something you've never had before. He wants to give you that, amen, the kingdom life is in Jesus. Amen? Amen? And the second question I ask is to the church, who is your neighbor? Who can you sow mercy to? Who is your neighbor? And this week I believe that you're going to see a lot of neighbors. You're going to see a lot of people that you can show mercy to. Amen? Amen. Who is your neighbor? And who can you let the Good Samaritan use you? Amen. And flow through you this week as we gather with family. Some of them were strange. Some we haven't talked to. Some of them were just a little bit off, a little bit different. Amen. We haven't really shared, amen, too much with our family members maybe. Maybe there's going to be friends there. Amen. But I want you to just think about that. Lord, who is my neighbor? And am I going to show mercy to my neighbor? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for today, your word. Just like this story and this account, Lord, you have a way of cutting to the, to the, to the root. You have a way of speaking to us that gets, right, gets past all the fluff and it gets right down to our heart, Lord. And you asked this lawyer, you said, amen, and as he asked you who is his neighbor, amen, really you were questioning his motives, that he had favoritism, prejudice in his heart. He was trying to justify himself, why he didn't have to love certain people and do certain things. But God, you really want to bring this, this man, this lawyer, I believe you loved him. Just like you did, amen, when that young, rich young ruler came to you. Same thing. God, you loved him. That's why you told him that. And you didn't want to see him this way. God, deal with us today. Is there somebody in some situation we're in that we're causing our hearts to be 
amen, to have favoritism and prejudice and, and to do this, Lord. We don't want that, Lord. We want to be able to see every person as a precious soul before you. Every person as you see them, Lord. Potential mercy dispensers, Lord. That's what we want, Lord. So we ask yourself, Lord, who is our neighbor today? Show us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Reach out to those who are close to us and just show mercy to them and extend what you've extended to us the grace and mercy that comes from the cross. We just thank you for it today. Lord, we pray that you bless every family gathering. We pray you give them protection on the road, whether their friends or relatives are traveling, they're traveling. Lord, we pray that they would be just have a wonderful, wonderful vacation and time off. And we just gonna, we're going to give you all the praise and all the glory because you are everything we have and everything we've been. Lord, you guys are come from you. We just give you all the praise and all the glory and say in Jesus' name today. Amen. God bless you. Hug somebody's neck. Introduce yourself to somebody new. Amen. Have a great Thanksgiving.